Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here. Thanks for coming this morning. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Before becoming the lead pastor here, I worked in youth ministry for about 10 different 10 years around. Um, one of the reasons why youth ministry is so important is because you're ministering to people who are at a very pivotal point in their lives. Teenagers are trying to figure out, one, who they are, and two, they're trying to figure out who will accept them for who they are. I remember a good friend of mine in middle school uh, whose search for his true identity was on display for all to see. During each year of middle school, he tried to fit in with a different group of teenagers, like many of us did. First year of middle school, he was a punk rocker. He bleached his hair yellow, he skateboarded, he wore baggy clothing, he hung out with skaters. Second year of middle school, he was a cowboy. He wore super expensive cowboy shirts, and jeans and boots, and he loved his country music. And uh, the third year of middle school, he was a prep. He wore nice clothes, nice slacks, button-up shirts and sweaters. He joined the tennis team. And so, like many of us, he was trying to figure out, who am I? And who will accept me for who I am? Wanting to be accepted is not a bad thing in and of itself. What's important to answer, though, is who do you most want to be accepted by? And why? Because how we answer that question can tell us a lot about ourselves and about our spiritual lives. And the desire to be accepted is not just something that teenagers wrestle with. It, it is a desire that actually begins at a much younger age and that desire persists through adulthood. And our culture is, is consumed with issues related to acceptance and identity. We, we live at a time when we have more options than ever before. We have more self-designations than ever before. Conservative, liberal, intolerant, tolerant, man, woman, other, Straight, gay, other, blue collar, white collar, rural, urban, cowboy, goth, jock, geek, fireman, policeman, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, single, married, divorced, homeowner, renter, mother, father, sister, brother, sober, Addicted, Calvinist, Arminian, rich, poor, extroverted, introverted, East Coast, West Coast, educated, uneducated, and on and on and on. We can become so consumed with answering this question, who am I, that we don't stop to consider that maybe we're not asking the most important question. Maybe the question we should be asking is, whose am I? More specifically, whose am I spiritually? 
Because if we believe God's word, that the world around us is transient. Everything we can see with our eyes is transient. If we believe God's word that our lives on earth are but a mist, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow, but that God has filled our physical bodies with spirits that will last forever, then maybe we should spend more time asking, whose am I spiritually? What's going to happen to this spirit when I die? To whom does this spirit belong? To whom will my spirit belong when my life on earth is through? God tells us in his word that we should be much more concerned about whose we are in the spiritual realm right now than with the acceptance that the world around us may or may not give us. Jesus said that right now, either we belong to God or we belong to the wicked angel named Satan. Jesus says either God is our father through faith in Christ or Satan is our father because of sin. This is how Jesus explained it to non-believers in John 8, 42 to 44. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Who is your spiritual father right now? And how do you know that? Is it God or is it Satan? Who do you want your spiritual father to be? Who do you want to become more like? God or Satan? Who do you want to spend eternity with after this life? God or Satan? These are the things Jesus wants us to consider. And the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that because of what Jesus accomplished in his sinless life and in his substitutionary death on the cross for sinners and in his victorious resurrection is that you and I can change spiritual fathers. And changing our spiritual fathers changes our identity. In Jesus Christ, you can have an identity change. You do not have to live as a prisoner to sin and Satan. Through faith in Jesus, you can be united to Christ and receive a new identity in him. This is what the letter of Ephesians is primarily about. It's about the wonderful new identity that God gives you in Jesus Christ because he loves you. It's about being accepted by the one who matters most, God. God's acceptance is the acceptance that all of us are truly searching for and God's acceptance is the only acceptance we truly need and that can satisfy our souls. One of Paul's main desires in this letter to the Ephesian Christians is that they might comprehend how much God loves them. 
He wants them to know how God has made them acceptable in Jesus Christ because he loves them. He wants them to know that God now accepts them in Jesus. In Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul shows Christians how much God loves them by describing to them what God has done to save them through Jesus. Paul shows them who they are now because of whose they are now. I read through the letter of Ephesians and wrote down all the descriptions I could find of Christians because they're now in Christ. In Christ, we are not who we used to be when we were outside of Christ. We read in the letter to the Ephesians that through faith in Jesus Christ, in this one letter, this is what God tells us. We are saints. We are blessed. We're chosen. We're holy. We're blameless, we're predestined, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're heirs, we're sealed, we're called, we're loved, we're made alive, we're saved, we are risen, we are seated in the heavenly places, we are God's workmanship, We are created for good works. We are brought near to God. We are the one new man. We are reconciled to God. We are accessors of God the Father. We are citizens. We are members of God's household. We are a dwelling place for God. We are partakers of God's promises. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are God's beloved children. We are members of Christ's body. We are God's soldiers. We are God's ambassadors. This is who we are now because God loves us. (laughs) And why does it matter to Paul that we know this? Why does it matter to him that we know who we are spiritually now and who we are spiritually now. Why does it matter that we comprehend or grasp how much God loves us? Because only when we know how much God loves us will we truly trust him. Only when we trust in Jesus will Jesus' Holy Spirit live in our hearts. Only when we we know how much God loves us will we be passionate about him and will we be willing to give up everything to follow him. Only when we know how much God loves us will we want to know him and want to obey him. Only when we comprehend how much God loves us will we gladly love others even when it costs us a lot. 
Only when we comprehend how much God loves us will we bring God the fullest glory that he deserves. And only when we comprehend God's love for us will we be filled with the fullness of God that God wants for us. So it is because of the awesome, holy, self-sacrificing love of God that Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians by telling them, the Lord is praiseworthy. That's what he says. The Lord is blessed. He's urging us praise, he's urging us praise God. Praise him. Praise God for what he's done for you. So let's, we're gonna dig in here. Let's start looking at it more closely. Let me pray here. Lord Jesus, as we open your word, as we read your word, I pray that you would help us to comprehend the, the massiveness of your love for us because of your grace in Jesus Christ. This changes us, Lord. You change us. We just pray that your love, God, would overshadow and tear apart any false messages we're believing that are not from you, about who we are in you. We just ask that you would focus us now and help us to savor you in this word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So when Paul wrote this in the Greek language, he did not divide verses three to 14 into separate sentences. Rather, verses three to 14 form one long sentence. And all of the gospel truths in this long thought are intertwined, they're interdependent, and he repeats them. That fact, combined with the fact that these verses describe some of the most profound theological truths, don't make this the easiest passage in the world to preach. So here's my plan. This morning, we'll look at verses three to 14 as one cohesive unit. And then over the next six weeks or so, I want to look more closely at and savor 
the blessings described in these verses. My best attempt at summarizing the big idea of verses three to 14 is this. Praise the Lord for loving us immensely by blessing us lavishly with his glorious grace through Jesus Christ. So praise the Lord for loving us immensely by blessing us lavishly with his glorious grace through Jesus Christ. Paul's tone in verses three to 14 is celebratory and worshipful. Unfortunately, many Christians get so caught up arguing about the different doctrines in this passage, they miss the whole point of the passage. We should worship God and thank him for who he is and for how he has loved us and saved us through Jesus Christ. And as we look at verses three to 14 more closely in the coming weeks, we'll see how Paul describes different aspects of God's love revealed in the gospel. And God's love should cause us to praise him. Verses three to 14, uh, in these verses, Paul describes God's amazing love for us as a predestinating love, a choosing love. Paul describes God's amazing love as a forgiving and purifying love. He describes God's amazing love for us as an adopting love. He describes God's love for us as a redeeming love. He describes God's amazing love for us as a self-revealing love. And he describes God's amazing love for us as a sealing love. All of these different aspects of God's love have a bearing on who we are now in Christ. These are the aspects I wanna look at more closely over the next six weeks. But this morning, I wanna look at it as one cohesive unit and I wanna talk about some of the big picture things that verses three to 14 tell us and why that's good news for us. First, this passage tells us that the triune God loves his people immensely. The triune God loves his people immensely. We, we call God the triune God again, remember, because he has revealed himself to be one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And these verses here describe how each of the persons of God loves us. Because we need to know that not only does God in general love us, but also that each person of God loves us. And I think it's especially important for us to know that God the Father loves us. Too often God the Father is mischaracterized as mostly being angry and frustrated and displeased and punishing. But according to Ephesians 1.3, which person in the Godhead does Paul first say is worthy of our praise? God the Father. Why? Because the Father is the one who has blessed us in Christ. The Father is the one who chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. The Father is the one who predestined us for adoption to himself. God the Father loves you, Christian. The Father loves you. The Father is the one who sent his only son to die for you to save your sin, to save you from sin and from hell, to, to bring you to himself in heaven forever. And then Paul shows us how much God the Son, Jesus, loves us. It's only because of the blood 
of Jesus that he voluntarily shed for us that we have redemption. It's only because of Jesus, God the Son, that we are forgiven of our trespasses. It's only because of God the Son, Jesus, that we're eternally blessed and not eternally cursed. God the Son loves you, Christian. Paul also describes here one of the ways that God the Holy Spirit loves his people. The Holy Spirit loves us by sealing us as God's possession and as God's heirs. The Holy Spirit guarantees for us our inheritance of eternal life with Christ in heaven until we acquire it someday when this life ends. God, the Holy Spirit, loves you, Christian. If you belong to God through faith in Jesus, then each person of the Godhead has loved you and loves you right now and will love you forever for your fullest joy and for his fullest glory. Second, in Christ, did I tell you that I have six points? Just so you can know. Second, in Christ, you are not the things you've done. In Christ, you are not the things you've done. God wants you to know that he has gladly given you a new identity in Jesus Christ. You are not the things you've done in your past. Have you ever wondered why God speaks through Paul to tell the Ephesian Christians who they are now in Christ? I think it's because of who the Ephesian Christians used to be and because of how they specifically used to live. Many of the Ephesian Christians had done very wicked things in the past against God and against people. We don't know everything about their past, but what the Bible does say isn't good. According to Acts 19, the Ephesian Christians were people who had had demons living inside of them. These were people who had used their body for all types of sexual sins. These were people who had been talking to demons and who had often used witchcraft and sorcery and spells to make wicked things happen in partnership with demons. These were people who not only belonged to Satan like all of us did at one point, but who had willingly, gladly submitted to Satan and his demons. Who could change people like that? Who could purify people like that? Only God. Only God, it is incomparable mercy and love, could break the Ephesians free from their enslavement to this wickedness and then give them new life in Jesus Christ. Only God could fill all these demoniacs at the same time with a new desire for the Lord, with, with this inexplicable desire to live in a way that's obedient and honoring to the Lord. Paul wanted the Ephesian Christians to know that in Christ they were new. They were not all the wicked things they'd done. By God's grace, all of their wickedness and guilt was put into Christ's body on the cross and put to death in his death. By God's grace, in Christ, they had become God's holy and blameless children. You and I need to hear that too today. 
if we trusted Jesus. In Christ, we are not the wicked things we've done. That is one of the tools Satan uses to attack us, is to remind us of the past and the things we've done. God has forgiven us for our sins against him and against others. We are new creations in Christ. We are holy and blameless in God's sight because we are covered by the perfect blood of God the Son, Jesus. You're not your past, Christian. You are now, by God's amazing grace in Christ, the righteousness of God. Praise God, right? (laughs) Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Third, the spiritual blessings described in these verses are only for people who are in Christ. These blessings are only for people who are in Christ. Nine times, nine times in this passage, verses three to 14, Paul says that these blessings are only for those in Christ. In order to receive the saving blessings of Jesus Christ, you must be in him. You must become united to him. So how do you become united to God? How do you become united to Jesus Christ? It's the same question they were asking 2,000 years ago, and this is what the Apostle Peter said. You must repent from sin and trust in Jesus. You must turn from sin and trust in Jesus. In other words, God must create in you a new desire to say no more to sin and to sinful living and to say yes to Jesus. You must say yes, I believe Jesus, you are God. Yes, I need you to save me from Satan and sin and hell and death. Yes, I believe you bore my sins on the cross because you love me. Yeah, I believe, Jesus, that you rose from the dead three days later because you are God. You are the one who hold the keys to life and death. Yes, God, I believe you are good and I wanna trust you and follow you and bring you glory as long as I live. I'm trusting in you alone to save me, God. If you're here today and you never prayed to Jesus and trusted him like that, then many of us in here are praying that the Holy Spirit would lead you to trust him today like that. Because we want you too to be a partaker of all of these spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. We want good for you. We want good for our community, in our nation, in our world. Because God wants good for us. Just consider what God has done for you in dying on the cross for you. Who else has done that? Consider what love God offers to the world despite all the ways this world has blasphemed him. This is a God you can trust. The spiritual blessings of God described in this passage are not for those who refuse Jesus and refuse to be united to Jesus or who are self-righteous and think they don't need God. These blessings are only for those who are desperate to be united to Jesus. Fourth, God determined all these spiritual blessings before the foundation of the world. 
before he created the earth. He determined all of these blessings. Verses three to 14 tell us that God decided to redeem and restore his creation from sin. He wanted to redeem and restore creation from sin even before he created the world. And because we are humans, we're part of creation, we're unique among all creation because we alone were made in God's image, we obviously should be very thankful that God's rescue plan includes rescuing some of us. (laughs) But we see in this passage, especially in verse 10, that God's plan of redemption through God the Son is much bigger than us. God's plan includes the redemption and restoration of everything he's made. The entire cosmos. Things in heaven and things on earth, it says. Things visible and things invisible. So what does God's cosmic rescue rescue plan tell us? It tells us that all creation exists for God. All that has been made, which is everything, exists to point to him and to declare how awesome he is. We do not exist for our glory and to tell the world how awesome we are. We exist for God's glory to tell the world how awesome God is. Thus, saving rebel sinners from sin is part of God's gracious rescue plan, but our salvation, our salvation is not the end in itself of God's rescue plan. The end of God's rescue plan is the eternal glory of his name because that is what is right and that is what needs to happen. God graciously loved us before the foundation of the world by determining to bless us lavishly with his glorious grace through Jesus Christ. Fifth, Our current sufferings are couched in eternal victory in Jesus Christ. Our current sufferings are couched in eternal victory in Jesus Christ. Whatever tragedies you have to endure in this life, whatever pain you must bear temporarily, whatever circumstances draw you and your loved ones into the valley of the shadow of death, Know, Christian, this, that all your sufferings are couched in the context of Jesus' eternal victory over Satan and sin and hell and death. Cancer will not have the last word for you. Sickness will not have the last word for you. Depression will not have the last word for you. Anxiety will not have the last word for you. Unending physical pain will not have the last word for you. Death does not have the last word for you. God is with you right now, Jesus says, and he is for you right now, Christian. And God has promised that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you, your days of suffering are numbered. But because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you, your days of future peace and wholeness and joy are unnumbered. Christians, through Jesus Christ, God has already conquered all of your greatest enemies. Satan and sin and death and hell. These are your greatest enemies. 
All of those things kept you in bondage before you were in Christ. But now, you do not have to be afraid of those things anymore. And even more, God has given you more spiritual blessings in Christ. His forgiveness, his redemption, his adoption, and so much more that we're gonna be getting into. And so, in light of this wonderful reality, spend time filling your mind with these truths. Spend time learning about who you are now by reading God's word. Spend time growing closer to God through daily prayer, and through scripture reading. Hide God's word in your heart. Put the Lord first, and no matter what hardships come your way, you can be confident that Jesus is gonna help you through it, and that Jesus has already given you victory in eternity. Just think about the circumstances Paul was in when God inspired him to write these amazing truths. Paul had been beaten and flogged and misrepresented and hated and mocked and arrested and lots of people were trying to kill him. And now he was in chains under house arrest in Rome awaiting his trial and likely execution. In the middle of all of that, Paul reminds us how great are the blessings we have in Jesus Christ because of God's incomparable love for us. Our current sufferings are couched in eternal victory in Jesus Christ. And sixth, praise God for who he is and for what he's done for you. Praise God. That's how Paul, that's, that word praise, it's all throughout this passage and that's how Paul starts it. God is blessed. God is praiseworthy He is worthy of our praises. He is worthy of our lives. This is the whole point of verses three to 14. To to get us to praise God, to sing songs to him, to worship him with our thoughts and our desires and our time and our money and our talents. Ephesians 1.3 says, blessed be or praiseworthy be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Ephesians 1.14 says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we inquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Christians, we must not be a people who simply believe that God is praiseworthy. We must be a people who actually praise him. <laughs> Do you praise God? When, when we sing worship songs, do you sing? <laughs> is, is praise and thanks coming from out of your heart and overflowing out of your lips and out of your life to praise God who hears you? And as Christians, we don't want to be a people who just know that all good things come from God. We want to be people who stop to praise God for every good thing in our lives. Thank you, God, for this roof over my head. Thank you, God, for this vehicle, which so many people in this world don't have. Thank you, God, for money to buy food. Thank you, God, for caring about me. Thank you, God, for giving me grace and forgiveness when I sin. Thank you and praise you for loving me and for choosing to break into my life to give me eternal life with you. Praise you, God. Praise you. Let me review the six observations here from Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. First, 
The triune God loves his people immensely. Second, in Christ, you are not the things you've done. Third, the spiritual blessings described in these verses are only for those who are in Christ. So come to Christ. Fourth, God determined all these spiritual blessings before he created the earth because he loves us. Fifth, our current sufferings are couched in eternal victory in Jesus Christ. And sixth, praise God for who he is and for what he's done for you. The labels that God gives you in Jesus Christ are so far superior to any label this world can give you. So instead of being so concerned about being accepted by this world, let us begin to comprehend what it means that we're accepted by God because of Jesus. Meditate on who you are in Christ Jesus now. Meditate on whose you are now because of Jesus. Think about how much God loves you and how much he has loved you and how awesome it is that he will love you forever. Amen? I, I'm just pumped to get into more of this in the next six weeks. That's all I got, though. So let's stand up. Let's stand up. Let's pray to the Lord as we, as we end our time together. Lord Jesus, Thank you for these wonderful truths that are just honestly exceed the, the limits of our mind. We, we just cannot comprehend all that this means uh, for us presently and in eternity. But we just thank you, God. We praise you for your glorious grace. Thank you for your salvation because you do not have to save. <laughs> we... Uh, we just declare that you're awesome, you're holy. Our lives are about you. Um, we, have, we can have peace in that, knowing that really our time here isn't about us trying to figure out the, the exact perfect career, the exact perfect spouse, the exact perfect car, the exact perfect whatever. It's all about you. <laughs> it's all about you, whatever we have. We want to bring you glory with it. Please help us, Lord, to do that. And oh, just thank you so much that we're saved by your grace and not by our works. Help us to praise you this week, not just to think about how awesome you are, but to praise you and to tell you, praise God and to thank you. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.